The text for the sermon is also taken from Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Galatians 6, 1 through 5, I will read that with you now. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. After the sermon... We will voice our amen together, our amen to the proclamation of God's word with the words of Psalm 141, 2, 3, 4, and 7. Psalm 141, 2, 3, 4, and 7 after the sermon. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, while there are Fewer and fewer people who claim to be religious in North American culture, there are many, many people who are still interested in spirituality. And that is evidenced in, you can tell when you go to a bookstore, some of the shelves are loaded with books about angels, about near-death experiences, about ancient religions, about native spirituality. On the internet, you can find all kinds of websites about New Ageism, modern witchcraft, nature worship, modern paganism, and information about all kinds of cults and spirit mediums. There's a great variety about what spirituality is, but there's also a lot of confusion. And that trickles into the church, too. What is true spirituality? Some Christians believe spirituality is found in private devotion. Others think that it's found in reciting ancient liturgies, lighting a candle, playing the right kind of music. Others try to find spirituality in a a religious experience. They want to find, have a powerful religious spiritual encounter through Meditation, for example, or by going to a spiritual retreat. Well, the letter to the Galatians provides us with a very different way of thinking about our spiritual life. Our spiritual life is based on knowing the one true God. It is based on having a relationship with this personal God who speaks to us through his holy word, the inspired scriptures. Our spiritual life is not something we can define for ourselves. Rather, it's defined by the existence and the character of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Neither is our spiritual life something that we can produce in ourselves. It's produced in us by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives us true life, a renewed life. And he does this by the means of grace, the preaching of God's word and prayer and reading scripture Only the Spirit can produce the fruit of faith in us. Love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it's vitally important, too, that we realize that the Spirit doesn't produce this in us for our self-fulfillment, for our personal enjoyment. When the Spirit produces the fruit of faith in you, it's not meant for you to just put that in a bottle, in a prominent place in your house, like a trophy. It's not meant to be experienced in private, but it is to be exercised in public, and most particularly within the communion of saints, the church, in the family of God and for the glory of God. And in Galatians 6, in the first five verses, the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle, shows us then how we ought to share some of that fruit with one another. Here the Apostle addresses the church in particular about how we ought to restore a brother or a sister who has been caught in sin or in a transgression. He says we must do that in a spirit of gentleness and with great humility, lest we also be tempted. This is true spirituality. The evidence of true spirituality is found in gently restoring a brother or sister caught in transgression. And it shouldn't surprise us that this is necessary or that Paul's warning is necessary. Here in Galatians 5, we're still in the context of chapter, or in Galatians 6, we're still in the context of chapter 5, where Paul is contrasting the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit, the works of the flesh in contrast to walking with the Spirit. There will always be members in the church who walk according to the flesh. And each one of us will have moments when we don't walk according to the Spirit. You see, the, the church is not a family of perfect people. But it is a family of men and women and boys and girls who recognize and realize that they are broken sinners. No church is a perfect place. A church will always have problems. Wherever the church gathers, there will be brothers and sisters caught in sin. So chapter 6, verse 1 is not an exception to the rule. It's the standard. And we need to realize that lest we become cynical or disillusioned with the church. Whether we're young or old, men or women, boys or girls, we can all get entrapped and ensnared by sin. Perhaps one of the sins that Paul mentions in chapter 5. It's as if Paul is saying in 6 verse 1, there's nothing more human than a human being falling into sin. Falling into deception. But then he adds, if anyone falls into one of these sins, then that person needs proper spiritual care. Needs to be restored. Now the term that Paul uses for Restoration is is a term that means you put something back into its original condition or its former condition. An illustration, uh, a good illustration is is when a doctor sets a broken bone or, or puts your dislocated shoulder back into place. So a brother or a sister caught in transgression needs to be put back in order. But we need to be told how to do that because we're not always very good at doing that. Many times we don't act like a good doctor. 
We don't always offer good or proper treatment for those who have been caught in transgression. Sometimes we lack the courage to do it. Sometimes we're aware of the brokenness of sin, but all we do is make a diagnosis from a distance. And that's as far as we get. We stand around talking about oh, what, in what terrible shape this person is in. Wow, wow. You, you see that guy? You see that brother? He's got a dislocated shoulder and it's in really bad shape. And, and, the, and the thing is, he doesn't even realize it himself. I'm sure glad I don't have that problem. He should do something about it. I think you get the picture. And all too often, that's the only kind of help we give. The kind of help that is known as judgmental gossip. And sadly, there are times when we even go further than that. Sometimes we condemn and blame sinners for needing spiritual help as if that's an exception too. We scold them and treat them as if they're beyond help. We, just, we rebuke them for being spiritually out of joint, but we don't offer them love or prayer, or support, or solutions. And then we forget that we too are sinners in need of grace. Well, what then is the solution? Well, the apostle gives us the solution. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. When you're losing the battle, you you don't shoot the injured soldiers... When fellow Christians are caught in sin, the solution is not to isolate them or walk away from them or let them perish in their sin. The solution is to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. And that's because sin breaks people. Sin damages your walk with the Lord. It destroys relationships. So we want to repair what is broken, don't we? We want to help people repair the things that are broken. And we want to do that in a spirit of gentleness. It's no coincidence the Apostle uses this word. It's one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And we need to keep in mind that the letter of Galatians was written to combat legalism. Legalism is hard and harsh and judgmental and aggressive and critical and intimidating. It's arrogant and belligerent. But only the Holy Spirit can produce gentleness. And those who are spiritual then are are to act to restore a sinner with gentleness. That is with love and compassion and tenderness and kindness and sympathy and empathy and mercy and meekness. Those of us who know our our Bibles, we know how legalists treat people. Like the Pharisees treated that woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. Or how Simon the Pharisee thought about that woman who anointed Jesus' feet with expensive ointment. So we're warned here, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Examine yourself for the very same sins that you find in others. In other words, be on guard for hypocrisy. Don't try to remove from someone else's life what is a problem in your own life. That's such a common occurrence, isn't it? 
It's, it's very common that, that we get really upset about the things in someone else's life that are present in our own life. Parents, we do that too, don't we? What makes us most upset with our children? is when we see the character flaws in our children that, that we have passed on genetically. And it works the other way around too. Sometimes a daughter doesn't get along with her mother because they're so much alike. We see the flaws in one another. We see our own flaws in one another. And then, and then we come, hard, come down hard on someone instead of having some understanding for their predicament. Martin Luther has a wonderful little paragraph in his commentary on this passage. and He writes the following. If any man be overtaken with a fault, do not aggravate his grief. Do not scold him, do not condemn him, but lift him up and gently restore his faith. If you see a brother despondent over a sin he has committed, run up to him. He's got such a wonderful way of saying this. Run up to him, reach out your hand to him and comfort him with the gospel and embrace him like a mother. However, if you meet a willful sinner who does not care, Go after him and rebuke him sharply. But this is not the treatment for someone who has been overtaken by sin and is sorry. Such a one must be dealt with in the spirit of meekness and not in a spirit of severity. A repentant sinner is not to be given gall and vinegar to drink. We all need to hear that, don't we? Being harsh or judgmental is a sign of spiritual immaturity. You may never rebuke someone just to prove that they are wrong and you are right, or because you think they need to be punished, or they need to pay for something. You may only rebuke someone when you have their best interest at heart, when you want to restore them to Christ. And so one of the true tests of spirituality is, is if you are ready to restore a brother or a sister with a gentle and sympathetic spirit. And if you can't do this gently, you better not do it at all. You better let someone else do it. And we all need to learn this, congregation. This isn't just the duty of the elders of the church. We all need to learn this. And if it should happen that church discipline becomes necessary, then this progress, this process too, must be full of gentleness. The goal of each step of church discipline, including the final step of excommunication, is to heal the church by restoring the sinner back into the fellowship of the family of God. And this work of restoration requires self-examination. It requires humility. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. There is not a sin that is committed by others, which you are not capable of committing as well. Your brother or sister may have fallen yesterday, but you may fall today. So search your own life and your own heart so that you don't fall into the same sin. Don't be too eager to condemn, because the truth of the matter is, you may well have a log in your own eye, while your brother or sister only has a splinter in his or her eye. In addition to this, we're instructed to bear one another's burdens. To love one another is to bear one another's burdens. If we are 
as we usually are, quick to overlook our own shortcomings, we ought to do the same for others by bearing their burdens. That means that we we don't add to the weight that they are carrying, as as Martin Luther wrote in his commentary. We we bear with them in their burden. We, We show them empathy and not condemnation. We help them shoulder the problem. We admit to them and to ourselves, there but for the grace of God go I. Dear congregation, we need to realize that that sin always weighs us down. It makes us lose joy and and peace. So, So come alongside those who have fallen. Help them bear this burden. Sin is such a heavy load. Help them carry it. There are are many problems that occur in in the presence of sin. Sin affects your life, but also it affects the lives of those around you. It's like dropping a stone in a pond. There are concentric circles, and they, they just ripple out. So it is with sin. It has a ripple effect on those around you. Even if you think you're sinning in secret, it will affect others, because one sin always leads to many problems. So again, how do you restore someone? You you come into their life. You come alongside them. You walk with them. You don't stand at a distance to throw stones at them. You see, the legalistic tendency is to criticize and judge from a distance. But the spiritual way is to come alongside someone and help them. To come in, to help them carry that load and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. And what is that? Well, that is love God and love your neighbor. Think of what Christ did for you. Did he not come to earth to bear the burden of your sin? Did he not go to the cross to bear the wrath of God for you? Did he not fulfill the law of God and so pay your sin debt to God? How then ought we to love our neighbor? Are we not called to be imitators of Christ? So ask yourself then, how can you be Christ to your brother or sister who is caught in sin? When we see someone who displays the work of the flesh instead of the fruit of the Spirit, we have an obligation, an obligation to help, an obligation to help carry the burden, to lighten the load, to encourage them to walk in the Spirit. Just think about the times that you were helped. If you are discouraged, isn't it wonderful when someone else notices that and gives you an encouraging word? And when you're sad, isn't it, isn't it heartwarming when someone gives you a hug? And if you're struggling with a certain biblical doctrine, isn't it satisfying when someone else can help you see the word of God rightly? And if you are filled with shame because of a sin, isn't it reassuring when someone can point you to the cross of Christ? And if if you need to be rebuked, isn't it a great relief when someone you trust comes up to you and taps you on the shoulder and says, Brother, we really need to talk. 
Isn't it wonderful when someone else is Christ-like towards you? Do you not then want to do the same for others? But then again, we have to be careful. Paul repeats the warning to be humble. First, we're warned to watch out on ourselves, keep watch on ourselves, but we're also warned if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Again, we have to be careful with our attitude and and we have to be humble. Scripture tells us elsewhere that we must consider others more significant than ourselves. Don't assume the worst of others while you think better of yourself. Think about this. Did Christ only die for you? Do you think that you deserve his forgiveness more than anyone else? Do you think God regards your sins as as less problematic than the sins of your parents or your spouse or your children or the people sitting in church with you? We're all sinners in need of grace. I am a sinner in need of grace. You are sinners in need of grace. And the church is the place where sinners in need of grace help other sinners in need of grace. And the church is the place where people who need to change help other people who need to change. And we all need to change. We all need to grow in holiness. That is God's goal for us and for his church. He wants us to be holy as he is holy. Christ desires to have a bride who is dressed in pure white. That's one of the reasons why he went to the cross. And if that is his goal for us, should our goal for one another be any less than that? So then go to your brother or your sister who is caught in transgression. Go and talk to him and her. Restore them to devotion in Christ. Because if they are pulled away from Christ, that destroys the unity of the church for which Christ died. There is no greater experience or evidence of the unity of the church than than a church where sinners minister to sinners. And that's what we're called to do. So guard your heart that you don't elevate yourself. Don't appoint yourself to be the spiritual policeman of the church. Don't think you're someone special. Don't elevate yourself thinking you are someone when in reality you are nothing, don't fall into the trap of self-deception. If you are going to restore a brother or sister who has been caught in transgression, you can only do that in a spirit of humility and submissiveness, knowing that you yourself are nothing apart from the grace of God. I am not someone special. I am not above the sins of anyone else I am not above any sin, and I should never think that it can't happen to me. There but for the grace of God go I. The truly spiritual person understands, I am nothing, I am not special, I do not deserve the grace of God. The Lord Jesus said in John 15 verse 5, apart from me you can do nothing. Apart from me you can do nothing. If we forget that, then we've lost already before we've even started. 
So to restore someone else, you need first to realize that you yourself need to be restored. And don't ever say, that would never happen to me. We know that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus warned his disciples. He said, you will all fall away from me. And then Peter, Peter spoke up. Oh, no way, Lord. Not me. Even if they all fall away, I will never fall away. But we know what happened. To his utter shame and horror, he betrayed his Savior three times that very night. But later, to his utter amazement, he was also restored. After his resurrection, the Lord Jesus spoke to Peter privately. And then later, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he restored Peter in the presence of the other disciples. He recognized Peter's repentance and Peter's love. And then he told him, feed my sheep. After having denied his Lord, Peter was restored. And he was given the task to help and restore others. And we have that task too. And that's why we're called to test ourselves. Verse 4, let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. How can we guard ourselves? How can we keep from being conceited by testing ourselves? We, we ought to be, of all people on earth, we ought to be the most introspective people. Pharisees and legalists are experts at, at pointing the finger, pointing out sin in the lives of others. But we are called to examine our own hearts and our own choices and our own priorities and our own motives. And then and only then will we have reason for boasting in self. That seems like a curious comment. Another way of saying this, you have reason to boast in yourself and not compare yourself to your neighbor. Right? Scripture is clear that we have nothing to boast of in ourselves. Ephesians 2, Paul writes, Faith and good works are a gift of grace, so no one may boast. So what, what is he writing here? Well, we, we need to read this again in its context. As we examine ourselves, as we, as we see that we are not being hypocritical, as we see that we are walking in the Spirit, we can boast about what the Lord is doing in our life. If upon examining myself I can see the work of the Spirit, evidence of God's grace, evidence of faithfulness, then I understand it is God who is working in me. He is the one who is making me more faithful, more useful in His kingdom. If there is any good in me at all, it is his work. It's all God's work. As Paul writes elsewhere, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And the God who begins a good work in you will also see it to completion in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So all of this is the result of the work of the Holy Spirit. He is the agent of your sanctification. He moves you. He changes your will and your heart and your motivations. And he uses the word and the prayer and preaching and the sacraments. But he is the agent. To whatever degree there is Christ-likeness in you, you can boast in him alone. Everything that is good and godly and holy and righteous in you is his work and his alone. And this is a gift of grace. To expand on this a little, listen to what Paul writes 
In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, he writes something very remarkable about himself. He says, By the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Referring to other apostles, other workers in the kingdom. I worked harder than any of them, he writes. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. He worked harder than anyone. But even that, even his labor, his sacrifices for the sake of the gospel, all his efforts, even his repentance, he writes, it's all of grace. You cannot add even one breath to your own life, let alone add anything to your salvation. And so the point is that we must see ourselves as God sees us. And to do that, we have to test ourselves under the light of his word. And not compare ourselves to our neighbors. In that way we follow the directive of Romans chapter 12 verse 3. Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to. But think about yourself with sober judgment. Each according to the faith that has been assigned to you. And that leads us right into the very last words of our text. Verse 5. For each will have to bear his own load. First glance, that seems to contradict what Paul writes in verse 2. He says, bear one another burdens. Now he's saying you have to bear your own load. Well, these are not contradictory, but complementary statements. It simply means that our mutual accountability has to be balanced by our personal responsibility. Our mutual accountability must be balanced by our personal responsibility. And to understand this, it helps us to know that the word for burden in verse 2 indicates a very heavy and wearisome load that has to be shared. It cannot be carried by one person. And the word for load in verse 5 indicates a personal load, something like, like a backpack that you would carry when you go on your personal travels. So what this means is that there is a weight that we must each carry, a weight of our own responsibility before God. God has given us, each one of us, a unique set of gifts. Like the servants in the parables of the talents, each of us then will also have to answer for how we use those gifts, what we have done with those gifts. You will have to answer for what you've been given, not for what your neighbor has been given. God will judge each one of us on the basis of what we have done with what we have been given. In other words, do your own work without comparing yourself to your neighbor. Examine yourself first. Test yourself in the light of God's word before you set out to restore someone else. When we live in this way, congregation, when we are aware of how we measure up to God's standard, then we can also begin to bear one another's burdens. When you know your own strengths and your own weaknesses, then you can also begin to help to restore someone else instead of feeling superior to someone else. And then when our actions meet God's standards according to his word, then we can also rejoice in his love and even his praise. So at the beginning of the sermon I asked... The question, what is true spirituality? 
And I trust that this passage in Galatians 6 has given us the right direction. True spirituality is not found in reciting ancient liturgies or in a special religious experience, but true spirituality is found in knowing God and in loving him and loving your neighbor, being Christ to your neighbor. It is found in submission to God's word and in cultivating the fruit of the spirit. It's found in ministering to one another in a spirit of gentleness. It's found in keeping watch on yourself, in bearing one another's burdens. It's found in testing your own work under the light of God's word and not by comparing yourself to others. It is found in bearing your own responsibility toward God. It is found in living to serve and not to be served. May God give us the grace to live out true spirituality in our lives, in our families, and in our church family. Amen.